Welcome to Shame of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's uh, Star Wars Christmas special of a TV show, A Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. And happy uh, Life Day to you, Brian. Thank you. Happy Life Day to you as well. Yeah, I never saw the original uh, Star Wars uh, Christmas special. I just heard about it. I definitely remember watching those shitty Ewok TV shows uh, as a child and thinking they were god-awful as like a four-year-old. Um, I remember enjoying the Ewok uh, specials. I don't know. I hated the little girl that had like the, the as a little girl or boy, had the blonde curly hair. Yeah, that uh, was the girl. I hated her. Wanted her to die, yeah. even at a young age. It's a terrible <laughs> thing. But I needed more Wilford Brimley in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> was he in there? Yeah, yeah. Space he was the old man diabetes. Yeah. Space diabetes. <laughs> he doesn't say diabetes. He says diabetes. diabetes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's doing, he definitely probably like, oh man, I don't know when they got to him, but I'm sure if like it was later on in his career, he probably have like a writer in there. He's like, I've got him. I've got to mention a disease that affects all yeah. these space people. Just like I think diabetes. that dude was like 40 when he was doing those too, even though he looked like he was in his late 70s. There's guys like that who just look like they're old forever. Yeah. I can't think of anybody right now because I have poor may, may have been the May have been the diabetes. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. They put a yeah. put a hurting on his, uh, uh, whatever, the aging process, like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Sure. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, we're talking about uh, season three, episode five, "Kiss by Fire," uh, and I just realized the second meeting for the uh, the episode title with uh, the first scene with uh, Dondarrion flaming his sword up with his uh, a kiss. I guess giving Sandor a kiss by fire. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I doubt it. I think these guys that uh, name these episodes think they're really clever. Uh, but uh, what did you think of this episode? I'm not entirely sure, and I think I'll know by the time we talk through it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. It was another one of these where I'm like, I didn't. I don't know how I feel. Like I felt nothing strong in any direction, um, but I didn't yes. feel like it was a mediocre episode either. Um, I feel like it's setting up something that if it doesn't pay off in the next episode or the episode after that, uh, it's a waste of time or it'll slip into the negative. But uh, you're probably right. Let's talk it out. Yeah, there were no objectionable scenes. I didn't think, uh, but none of them really stuck with me. On the other hand, so I'm, I, I just I, I don't have a strong feeling. So okay, but fun hour show, uh, fun hour of uh, television though. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, guys, we should all over this show, but uh, we we like it, um, or else we wouldn't be doing this bullshit. Okay, so um, uh, the bros, the brohood without uh, borders or whatever, uh, they're gathered for a trial by combat between Sandor and Beric that was set up in last episode. So they're gathered. Uh, Thoros says some magic words, cuts Beric's hand, and Beric sets his sword on fire. Um, uh, this is obviously upsetting to a man who has had half his face melted off by fire and has recently abdicated his position as a Kingsguard knight um, because of fire. Uh, but they don't care. Um, they fight with swords and shield for a while, trading blows, and it's a, you know... Pretty decent uh, fight, I guess. Couldn't really tell what was going on too much. And I guess it was just dark. But um, eventually, uh, to nail home the fire makes Sandor crazy thing, uh, in addition to the sword, Sandor is pushed back and falls on a campfire on the ground. Burns his us, I guess. And then he's forced down, um, and his shield is set afire by uh, Beric's flaming sword, which obviously drives him crazy. He's also unable to remove the shield for whatever reason, so it's actively burning his hand and his arm while he's fighting. So this is, you know, not good for a man who's terrified of fire. 
Um, but I guess that propels him and gives him a, I don't know, some kind of surge of energy. Uh, with a flurry of blows, he is able to um, beat Barrick back and eventually uh, slice through his flaming sword and his his torso a good amount uh, and land a deadly blow to Barrick. Barrick falls over, presumably dead. Um, Thoros rushes to him while Arya makes a mad dash to kill the Hound herself. She is restrained by other uh, Brotherhood Without Banners guys while the Hound gloats about how the gods must like him better than the Butcher Boy, which probably a bit too much. Um, and then all of a sudden, Beric pops up, uh, seemingly brought back from the dead. What do you think? I, I, I'm not sure I understood what the point of the, com- the trial by combat was in this context, because the Hound admitted that he killed Micah, so what's the trial actually about? Whether he gets to live or die? Whether I guess it was just because he was doing it under the king's orders, presumably. Probably not explicit yeah. orders, but I think that's the matter at hand, right? I guess. It seemed kind of stupid. But um, it, was, it was a fun fight, though, and I did like seeing the fire sword. Uh, the image of it being lit up initially was was yeah. a cool-looking image. Absolutely. And I think in the books we'd seen the fire sword a few other times, I think, at least one other time. So this was cool finally seeing it for the first time, and especially in the, the context of the fight between these two. Uh, it, the fire sword is being put to the most interesting application of terrorizing a man who's uh, afraid, <laughs> afraid of fire. Of fire. Yeah, yeah, the the flaming sword is a thing of the red priest and res, red priestess. Uh, Stannis wields a flaming sword, and I don't know if they. I think they did that in the show where he pulls a sword out of the. Um, they didn't really have the Azora High moment where he's holding aloft a flaming sword, or at least I don't remember it. Anyway, it's a big deal with these people that worship the uh, red god. Um, and we get that made explicitly clear with the prayer, the night is dark and full of terrors. Another thing, though, I, I that I wish I had written or read the books more recently, I thought the trial by combat was a uh, Faith of the Seven thing. Um, you know, because you're appeasing the gods, plural, but in this religion, there's only one god. Uh, yeah, I, I don't we, know. It yeah. might be one of those things that's just co-opted, like Christmas. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like the... The pagans are uh, worshiping the winter solstice anyway, so let's just co-opt it and have the Savior born around this time. Uh, it makes sense. Here we go again with Doug's war on Christmas. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> One man war on Christmas. It's happy holidays, actually. Yeah, you're like the Rambo of Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's a fun scene. I thought it was a fun scene. Yeah, so it's fun, right? Next we go, uh, yeah, next we go north of the wall, and John is explaining the patrols to, I think the guy's name is Orel. Yep, uh, and then we've. Yeah, that's that's our man, um, Egret, and also of course uh, Torment Giant Spain tells uh, Wargi that there's uh, only three of the nineteen castles are manned. Uh, lies about the number of crows, uh, which you would think the uh, the war guy would have a better idea of how many people are there based on being able to send an eagle over there. But anyways, um, Torment Giant Spain threatens John, uh, saying, "You better not be lying to me." Um, John is up. Uh, Egret is also interceding throughout the middle of this. Uh, the uh, Tormund and the war guy leave John alone. Egret steals John's sword and convinces him to chase her back to some uh, camp, or not camp, uh, cave, where she, it's apparently a hot springs where she drops trowel and they make sweet cave love. Uh, and apparently John is amazing at cunnilingus. And this is all, but in a larger context, this is all part of the 
20 good wildlings that are headed towards the castle wall. Yep. Um, so after uh, John and Egret make sweet cave love, uh, they discuss Egret's sex history. Apparently, she'll bang random dudes that uh, don't even speak her language. They then take a bath, and it's uh, in these natural hot springs that apparently the other dummies in the 20 good wildlings are just ignoring and sitting on the snow instead yeah, of being in the Yeah, you would think you just at least sleep in there at the very least. Yeah. You know, if, if yeah. you didn't want to take a bath because you're just not doing yeah. that. The whole cleanliness. So this is just part of uh, John. I mean, to the the audience at least, we're supposed to know that John is still loyal to the King's Watch, but he's kind of leading along these wildlings, and at the same time, him and Egret are becoming closer and closer. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I actually enjoyed this because it was just refreshing to see uh, see a woman who, who's so transparently aggressively trying to get sex, and she even does the bargaining thing that you know guys traditionally do. Like, well, I did buy you dinner. In this case, she's like, I did save your life twice. You kind of owe me. Uh, yeah. Which I found kind of, you know, amusing, if not uh, whatever, real life. But uh, we also get, I guess it's the, they call it the Lord's Kiss in the book, which I, I missed. I wish they would have left that in there. Um, but yeah, John is just naturally uh, attracted to kissing you down there or whatever. Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's gross. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it wasn't overly done. Yeah, you know, he, he might want to consider doing that after they take the bath. <laughs> yeah. It just tasted like dirt. Oh God. We're not going down this path. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. You know, most, uh, you know, uh, I guess, I don't know, ridiculously romance novel type stuff like this. I mean, they found a cave that no one else is interested in. They're all secluded. They could have made it really, um, uh, really obnoxious and really gross, but uh, they didn't. It was it was done well, I guess. That was fine. Yeah, fine. not really. Yeah, um, yeah, it didn't bother me too much. Okay, so we go back to the Brotherhood, and uh, the Honorable Brotherhood have kept their word and are going to allow Sandor to go free. But before uh, he does, they're going to keep his money, and they're not robbing him because they're giving him an IOU, which they can't possibly ever pay back because, you know, they're just fucking outlaws. Uh, Sandor calls them on their bullshit, but uh, whatever. They don't really care. Uh, and he is uh, escorted out. Not really much happens in the scene. Yeah, I think that's about the long and short of it. I'm not sure if I have anything really to add to it. Uh, the only thing I'll ask is, you know, I wonder if he calls the IOU now that he's with the Brotherhood in season six. Oh shit, yeah. Like uh, about that fucking money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the Vig's been running this whole time too. Yeah, you know what's that? What three percent? I don't know. I don't know. It depends what? on what the Fed sets it. I think. Yeah. Got to get got to drill down to the prime first. <sighs> but other than that, yeah, uh, pretty much a throwaway scene. I really don't think we needed anything in this. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, other than learning that the uh, Doctors Without Borders are deadbeats, I don't know what it really added to the... To the Not a whole <laughs> lot. We, they could have just said, hey, Clegane's gone. He left. I don't know. Yeah. Didn't need to have to do that. Right. Um, so, so next, uh, we go back to Locke, Jamie, and Bran, and they are arriving at Heron Hall. They're greeted by Roos. Uh, Roos puts Locke in his place, frees Brienne, and sends uh, Jamie to get scrubbed up. Uh, Jamie asks of news from Winterfell. Actually, from King's Landing, and Roof kind of gives him the old uh, "what for" by making it seem like something bad has happened to his sister, but of course, nothing's bad has happened. Uh, Jamie is sent to Kyburn, and Kyburn is treating Jamie's nub. It's all pretty gross. Apparently, Jamie has the corruption, which I guess is a gangrene type deal. I would assume. Uh, 
Yeah, Jamie explains uh, who he is. Oh, I'm sorry, Kyburn explains how he, he who he is. He was formerly a maester who was stripped of his chains. Uh, he has a treatment plan for Jamie and involves uh, chopping and boiling wine. Jamie forgoes pain relief. Uh, apparently, in the books, I think he did that because he's concerned Kyburn might fuck him up worse, but doesn't really have an explanation in the show. Trust him, yeah. Yeah, so uh, a lot of I think they won like an award for this scene or at least this episode oh really because i was facts, I, yeah. I wrote this is the best scene of the episode like just the way it was shot the way it was filmed and the acting like i felt like jamie did a good job uh um, yeah and kyburn was i don't know he was fine i mean uh i don't know i just really liked this particular scene not so much you know him meeting roos in the yard but the closeness of their interaction uh when he's getting treated um <laughs> Kyburn's a good actor. He, he he he. That's a guy who really disappears in his character. I think. Yeah. Um, he yeah. He's overdo good. it too. He's not yeah. like a you know. He doesn't play a big, larger than life character. No, no. He's he's exactly the kind of person that would be be kicked out of the uh, the order of the Meisters or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he plays that. That's that does seem like a guy who would be that kind of crazy and get kicked out of the the order. Uh, his demeanor is proper for that. Yeah, character. in the book, he 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 plays up the more like the grandfatherly. I'm just here to take care of you thing, but I'm also mm-hmm. into this crazy fucking with dead bodies. Um, yeah, he might be trying to reanimate Jamie's hand in front of him or something. Right. Weird. Yeah, but uh, I. I want to question real quick. The biggest question mark I had about this is uh, Roose Bolton's motivations here. So, like, uh, what's going on? Because he obviously, in this scene, gives Jamie shit by, like, enjoying allowing Jamie to twist in the wind about the fate of his sister and fucking royal family by, you know, talking about the battle and making it seem like it's going to go badly. Um, But then it's uh, a weird ruse by ruse oh and he also like uh pointedly mentions just his sister right which so has to he, be a dig at the sister fucking of course yeah. absolutely so what yeah. is ruse's thing here because obviously eventually he lets him go so he's gonna f- side with tywin and we know that because of what happens with the red wedding later on this season but you got to think like is Locke under his control was Locke just a rogue agent here severing Jamie's hand to begin with, or do you think it was done under Roose Bolton's orders? Um, it's really not made clear in the show at all, and I don't know how clear it is in the books either. I don't I don't think that the uh, hand chopping was ever premeditated. I never thought that that was. Um, as we discussed during that episode, it didn't even seem like it was going to happen until Jamie got real uppity about the getting the chicken. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think that was planned out. And if uh, Roos, I mean, I, theoretically, I think he's already in the pocket of the Lannisters at this point, or very close to. So I don't think that he would purposefully have Jamie uh, de-handed uh, if he is in the Lannister pocket, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, you got to think, like, uh, Locke, if he is a good, leal subject of Roos, wouldn't go maiming very important hostages, like... Maiming of Jamie Lannister could lessen his value or somehow, you know, fuck up what Roos wants to do as a bargaining chip yeah. or Rob. So you got to think him acting like it out on his own is a fucking bold move. Like, you know, if I was Roos Bolton and I wanted Jamie as a, a bargaining chip, I might have Locke killed right out of hand just for, yeah, I wouldn't mind having him maimed, but that's something that I would want to decide. I won't want you acting out on your own fucking 
right. um, accord. I don't know. It, it seems well, very strange. you know the the lack of direction on that aspect too might be driven by the fact that this is kind of mishmash of different characters from the books. So it's not as clear of a uh, a line. I think it was Virgo Hote. Varg- yeah, Varga mistaken, Hote. Virgo, yeah, actually did the cutting in the book. And so the, they're kind of mashing up and confusing characters. And I, I think we've seen when uh, D&D do that, they tend to lose critical threads of those characters. Yeah, overall... Um Whatever. I mean, uh, we know that Roos is siding with Tywin, at least at this point, or is thinking about it. So, yeah, I guess that's all we really need uh, from a storytelling perspective. So, mm-hmm. all right. So then we go on to another scene that's very quick on uh, King's Landing. Uh, Cersei meets with Littlefinger, and she doesn't trust the motivations of the Tyrells, and she wants Littlefinger to get to the bottom of it. Uh, she says she she wants him to do a better job than he did capturing Arya Stark, and he says he will. Uh, and then she says he'll either be greatly rewarded or severely punished. Uh, not a whole hell of a lot else happens here. No, I think, but I think Cersei's compounding the issues that she's had. I don't know why the fuck would she ever trust Littlefinger at this point? You know, instead of doing her own investigation or, or who, like somebody she can actually trust. Yeah, uh, she has. I don't know own, why she has her own little spy network in the in the show. Uh, that's that's her own. Um, you know, and that, or I'm sorry, in the book, but in the show, it's not made clear. You're right. There's no other, like, she doesn't make the initiative to have her own, like. Yeah. I mean, network. I don't know why she wouldn't expect uh, Littlefinger to turn around and just tell the Tyrells that she's trying to creep on them. Like, he, he's the least trustworthy person. I think. Uh, I think she, she should... thinks she can intimidate him. Like, because she says, you know, this whole thing, like, you know. Well, she did that power is power thing. Right. A few episodes ago. Yeah. But. She's an idiot, though, if she trusts him or <laughs> yeah. at least – yeah, yeah, stupid move on her part. And just compounding the issues that she's created for herself by uh, putting J- you know, Joffrey not handling him and trying to confront Tywin and all this stuff. I think that just, she just keeps making dumb play she's after dumb play. Yeah. yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So next we go to Tyrion and Olena are meeting for the first time. We're – at least I think this is the first one-on-one conversation we've seen between them. Yep. They discuss her BMs and uh, how uh, the uh, figs or whatever the heck, prunes, plums, whatever help. Discuss the upcoming wedding, and it's apparently very expensive and Tyrion's ex- exceeding Tyrion's new budget. As we saw in a recent episode, Tyrion's the new master of coin, and he's also found out the kingdom is bankrupt, so he's in some trouble. Oleta's not hearing anything about the half-assed wedding. It reminds Tyrion of all the support that the Tyrells are providing the Lannister's army as well as the uh, King's Landing. Olena thinks that the royal wedding is a good distraction for the people will take their attention away from the, the, the war and pestilence and whatever the hell else is going on due to these uh, rich people fighting. Uh, Olena is also disappointed that Tyrion is not uh, a drunk monkey, more or less. <laughs> She uh, agrees to pay for half the wedding, which is a huge relief to Tyrion. And uh, as she leaves, Tyrion eats a fig so he can make later on that day. Yeah, I guess it's it's father of the bride in our uh, society, but I guess it falls on the uh, the king in this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the Queen of Thorns is the best, right? I think so. Yeah, like she her she just owned the scene, and I uh, you know. Obviously, that was probably by design, because uh, Dinklage is no small, you know, uh, actor or presence on the screen. He's he's great. You well, want to see more? Shut up! Uh, but you <laughs> want to see more of him as much as possible. But she just commanded the scene and was talking over him the entire time. 
but you know, he still got his way, um, or as well, much of his what, way as he could. Well, that, and that was the plan. I mean, you could, I mean, she didn't come up with that on the spot. Right. I'm sure she knew that was what he, she was there for and she was prepared to make that move. But that's something they've done with her. It seems like in all of her, her scenes is where she's going up against one of these other dudes like Tyrion, like for instance, varies where they are able to verbally spar with just about anyone around. And then Lady Olena comes in there and she's a buzzsaw and just destroys the, the scene, uh, which is it's fun, I think. And I, I guess I think the impression that we're supposed to take is that nobody, even though they kind of know who she is, nobody is completely prepared for just how quick she is and uh, how she just kind of takes over a room kind of thing. Yeah, but at the same time, I think you're absolutely right. She probably knew going into this uh, quote-unquote negotiation how much she was willing to give, and I think yeah. she gave exactly what she was willing to give. I, I don't know if she felt bad for Tyrion, because she probably could have pushed him and said, hey, we'll pay for a quarter of it. Uh, and that well, she has them. all the leverage. I, I mean, I, She does have it, all the leverage, but why would she section. give anything? Why would she give because that Because it much? creates even more leverage, and she probably... Well, maybe maybe she has an idea that the crown is broke at this point. I mean, maybe she knows. I don't know yeah. if she does know or doesn't know, but uh, it just seems like the Tyrells are so loaded at this point that it, it doesn't it, really make a difference if she's paying for half the wedding. And plus, it's in her own best interest for the yes, wedding absolutely. to go off. Like, you know, if she nickels and dimes that there's a chance the wedding won't be as fabulous as she wants it to be. And, you know, it's, you know, she is going to be the crown. Like, her family and the crown are ideally going to meld or or mix a little bit so you know it is in her own best interest um yeah good god can you imagine that thanksgiving dinner with the tyrells and lannisters (laughs) shit i would not after after especially after a few drinks yeah all right um so next we go back to the fucking brotherhood and gendry has decided to stay on with the brotherhood and make armor and weapons for them uh instead of following Arya to winterfell uh, you know, he says he's tired of serving people, even though he's going to serve the Brotherhood. Uh, he thinks of more of a democratic thing as opposed to a uh, whatever's going on with uh, the royals and the uh, the the uh, ruling families. Um, anyway, he says he's just looking for a family, and the Brotherhood is that. Uh, Arya offers to be her family, his family, which was you know. Nice and Disney pulling of the heartstrings kind of a way. Uh, and Gendry says, we would never be family. You'd always be my lady. Uh, and he's absolutely right. Um, so just a little quick scene. I did like the emotional weight with Gendry, I guess, between Arya and Gendry. But I don't know if it was completely earned. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I did find it ironic, though, that he's staying... Um, to to serve with them, and eventually they're just going to sell them out for gold. Yeah, it's, which once again, yeah. show invention, crazy bullshit. Yeah, so uh, yeah, not a whole lot to it. Uh, I I did think it was kind of earned because I think if in theory, if Arya and and him and Hot Pie had been through these things that they'd actually been through, I mean, those are pretty uh, trying times, and there's been kind of a sister and brother relationship between Gendry and Arya, which he knows can't last because but not a Lannister sister brother relationship. No, 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 not not the sick kind. Um, so I, I thought it was earned enough. Uh, but I, I so like Gendry was kind of a seemed like a, not a throwaway character, but he just never seemed that important to the show. Although he is charismatic, and I kind of like him. Yeah, um, and I question, especially as the story progresses, uh, I question the relevance of a Baratheon uh, heir to the throne 
uh, at this point. I don't think it's it matters at all. No, no. He's still out there rowing to the sky, wherever the hell he is. Although he could probably take over, um, you know, what is it, Storm's End? Because, you know, there's no Stannis, there's no, you know, Renly. I guess, but has he shown himself to have any kind of... Uh, any kind of diplomatic or royal type powers, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. It's all bloodlines, but I don't know who would know about it that's still alive too to prove it. So, uh, oh, well, you know, I guess Mel. Mel would be the one. Yeah, but she's she doesn't have any proof. No, you. And she's well, a foreigner. She did uh, use leeches to suck blood out of his yeah, dick. But and- no, not the whole kingdom saw that. I'm just saying if they said, hey, this you know, this is the new ruler of Storm's Ed, and it's one of Robert's Baratheon's uh, bastards. Okay. Yeah, Ned's gone. Ned, Ned knew. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, regardless, I, regardless yeah. I don't know. Uh, supposedly he, spoiler alert for season seven, I think he was seen on set or crowd. God, I hope so. Yeah, he better come back or yeah, they should have killed him. I don't know. Yeah. So next we see the uh, Rando Lannisters sleeping. Car uh, Stark and his gang run in and murder the Lannisters. It, the scene cuts to Rob and Talisa looking at the dead children. Car Stark and the gang are brought in. Rob is not happy about the murder. Car Stark apparently did it because he was upset that Jamie was released. Car Stark gets real sassy and Blackfish punches him in the face. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Yep, uh, Rob sentences all the everyone to be in, in the murder party to be executed. Edmure wants to, and then they all exit the murder party. Leave. Edmure wants to cover up the issue, which Rob disagrees with. He must bring justice to Karstark, but of course that will result in all of the Karstarks quitting his army, and uh, everyone pleads with Rob to keep Karstark alive. Rob apparently rejects this idea because the next morning. Uh, presumably in the cold rain, uh, Rob uh, delivers his judgment upon Lord Karstark's neck. Karstark uh, gets in a few party shots, but uh, Rob Rob seals the deal, and then Rob walks away kind of scared. Yeah, and like he doesn't eat out of control. Um, yeah, this was a really long scene. Some would say this was probably been should have been broken up into a few scenes, and um, maybe two of the hosts should have handled the scene, you know, in parts, maybe, instead of you doing the whole thing, but I don't believe so. Um, and uh, he calls him a few things. His car stock says, you're the king who lost the North, not the king of the North. Um, yeah. Which I guess is... And I saw, I saw somebody online uh, uh, speculate whether Karstark might have lived until he uttered that phrase, and that's what might have turned the whole thing. Well, he also did, he also goaded him by saying, oh, I'll get a slap on the wrist for treason, because that's what he did for his mom. Yeah. Uh, so it seemed like he wanted to die, uh, or else it was just stupid. You know what I mean? It was like, he was like he was goading him into robbing to killing him, uh, which yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense, except for just, I guess, pride. Um, I don't know. Doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, and can you explain the relationship between the Starks and the Car Starks? Uh, it's not just Bannermen, right? They're just Bannermen. Uh, they oh, okay. they might have been were, related, like, like yeah, hundreds of years ago. Like, they definitely have a common ancestry, but the Starks have common ancestry with almost every uh, house. Okay. Uh, and when you think about it, like, they always are marrying off their daughters and sons to, uh, you know whatever their liege lords or the um whatever their vassals so okay. everybody has has whatever they're they're all intermingled and related in some way 
But yes, the Car Starks got their names because I think it was like a bastard house of Starks, but it was so long ago that, you know, they're not really their relationship yeah, is bullshit. The they're, just a, yeah. they're just another vassal. Um, yeah. I will say I did like the fact that if, at some point, Greywin was just in the background, um, just chilling under a uh, a rooftop. Or not a rooftop. I didn't even notice. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's why it was so great. Um, because they, you know, they would put these wolves just in the scenes, just in the background. I'm sure it cost them money, but they thought it was important. Doug Rant yeah. um, minimized. But... um. But yeah, I, I, this comes back later that this was a stupid move. Um, because I think we know right away. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, not oh. right now, but like he says later, or somebody says, and it's repeated twice by Tywin for a third time, that the car starts when they leave, take half of Rob's army that's with him right now. That is yeah. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think it's that bad I, I, in the books. No, I didn't think, like, with these actual scenes, I thought they could have done this much better because, say, for instance, Ed Muir or the Blackfish said, you're going to lose half your army if you do this. It would have been much more impactful, but I didn't think that it made that much of impact when he actually made that decision. I mean, you you don't have any idea as to, like, the size of these armies that are with him. They can say he's going to lose if he does this, but if you say he's going to lose this if he does this because that's half his army in the scene, it has so much more impact than uh, a throwaway line later on is supposed to explain how important it is, you know? Yeah. And it, and it, and once again, it, the throwaway line later just makes you look back and say, Oh, then that was a fucking dumbass move. Like, yeah, but th- there's a much more impact if you know how dumbass a move it is. Yeah. In the move. Not right. after that. Exactly. As yeah, I agree with you because then you're kind of, then then you get to feel the weight of Rob's decision. You know that, like, hey, doing this, uh, you know, what are you going to do for pride or quote-unquote honor? Um, you know, or are you going to be pragmatic? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I would think you're trying to win a war. Maybe, maybe there's other ways to punish him and not kill him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, more like severe make wear, than... Make him wear a dress out on the battlefield. <laughs> More severe than just like you know locking him up like his mother, in you know a fancy room with a under under guard, but there could have been some other way to punish him and not just kill him. It doesn't have to be the nuclear option. So yeah, he doesn't have to. Rob doesn't have to sacrifice his war effort just to make a point. And I think like I know his model is Ned, but I think even Ned would be practical enough to realize you can't just do this. You know, take care of this after the war. You know, I, I agree. I don't see. I don't think anybody would. Other than maybe Stannis. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. But then Stannis, you know, the guys would have known what Stannis is all about by this point, or Rob, if Rob was like this from the beginning. And Rob might have killed his own mother if he was Stannis. I don't know. Stannis did kill his own brother uh, because he got in the way of his throne. So, yeah, whatever. Um, Let's see, moving on. So Arya's hanging out um, by a campfire, still with the Brotherhood, um, saying her death prayer listing her names, and ask what the bros are planning to do with her. They say they're going to take her to River Run, where her brother is, and collect a ransom. Uh, Beric says um, that, you know, she asked if Beric, Beric looked like Beric was dead. He says he was dead, and Thoros brought him back. He says he's been killed and resurrected six times. Um, says that each time he comes back, there's less and less of him. 
he's less himself himself. And Arya asks if they can bring her dad back. And they're like, I don't think the magic works that way. What the fuck do they know? They might it might work that way. Yeah, you just kind of get the head and the body near each other. It's yeah. been a few months, but it's, eh, it might work. You don't know. You don't say, you know, I don't think it works that way. You're talking about bringing somebody back from the dead. It's not like there's rules anymore. Yeah. Like, you don't yeah, know give until it a you shot. try. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. They come across, a, you know, maybe, a, you know, you know, a, a corpse of a deer in the woods and just, uh, you know, try to give it to the breath of life. See what happens. I don't know. Yeah. Go get back to the Sept of Baylor and uh, <laughs> say some magic words and see if H on the Conqueror pops out. Anyways. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what this scene was meant to do. Uh, besides, just give us a little bit more backstory about Barrick and him coming back from the dead. Uh, and the yeah. whole Barrick plotline, I think, is just to prepare us for John um, getting resurrected. Yeah, I, I realized while watching this uh, episode that the Doctors Without Borders really kind of suck in the show um, versus what they are in the books. Uh, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but it seems like here they just seem like opportunistic uh, kind of pieces of crap. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not really impressed with them in the in the show, but I remember liking them a lot in the books and think they were a lot of fun. Yeah, they were definitely conflicted uh, for sure. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they haven't done enough. They say they're standing for the common person, but you don't see any evidence of that, which I think is a problem. No, instead they just take uh, Clegane's money uh, right. and promise to pay him back later, which is kind of shitty, even if they're freedom fighters. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he's he's got no job. He's got nowhere to go. He's got no prospects. Yeah. You know, they're not killing him, but, you know, it's not doing him any favors, cutting him loose in the wild. Exactly. With no money yeah. and no mm-hmm. supplies, so... Yeah, these no, guys unfairly just too, because he passed the trial. Uh, I mean, there's no reason. In, I mean, they're just out out and out thieves. Right, they take exactly. You're absolutely right. Yeah. He is an innocent man, and they just are robbing him. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, yeah, you're right. Anyway, they're pieces of shit. So, so next we go to Dragonland, and uh, Stannis's wife is praying. I think this is the first time we meet her. I think she's in the background of uh, earlier scene in the first season, but it's uh, or maybe even second. But it's one of those things where they it was a different character or a different actor because they actually hadn't uh, cast her yet. So Stannis arrives. Apparently, he's been ignoring her this whole time. I think he's been back at his castle for quite some time since the Battle of Blackwater. He hasn't got, bothered to go to see her. Uh, becomes clear that Mel. And Salise is actually Lady Stannis's name. Uh, Mel and Salise are tight. Uh, Salise still be- believes in uh, Stannis, even though Stannis's uh, confidence in himself is faltering. Stannis admits that he's been banging Mel. Uh, Salise knows this, and she's cool with it. In fact, she's into it. Um, so then we uh, see uh, a bunch of creepy fetuses. Apparently, these are the Lost Boys. Uh, that <laughs> I didn't mean yeah. the Lost. These are uh, these are children. Uh, that was completely unintentional. These are apparently uh, <laughs> boys that Celise uh, was not able to carry to term. Named and Kiefer this is a, and um... <laughs> Feldman. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, so this is a point of contention. Stannis kind of shakes his head weirdly, and I'm not sure if that's a reaction to those weird fetuses or what that exactly his reaction was. But uh, Celise is upset. Apparently, she failed to give him a boy. Then she says. That uh, Mel was able to give him a boy, but I we I guess the boy she's referring to is the shadow, shadow baby. I guess. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So uh, Stannis wants to see his daughter, but Solis thinks that the daughter is a distraction. Despite the fact that fact, Stannis goes to see the daughter. We meet Shireen, who is singing some uh, weird song. She's got a face disease. Uh, Shireen asks about Davos. Uh, Stannis explains. <laughs> it's a really funny scene because he, he makes a point of saying, I'm going to go see her. She's my daughter. And then he goes to see her, explains Davos is in prison because he's a traitor, and then just kind of pieces out. Yeah. And that was I the agree. extent of it. Yeah, like there's no tenderness. What we know, Stannis is a hard man. Yeah, but I wanted to see him be slight, and he had a little weird face. He had like a facial twinge when yeah. she asked about him. But like he chose the uh, the side of just being like brutally honest with his daughter, and then yeah, piecing out. Where I would have loved to have been seen Stannis being like conflicted, being like I want to pr- care and protect my daughter, but I also want to tell her the truth, and I don't know how to do that. Um, yeah, just give her a goddamn hug. I mean, right. Yeah, it's weird that that they kind of built it up in the prior scene and then didn't really pay it off because he just goes in and is a dick and then walks out. And that's kind of it. And the fact that Shireen has grayscale doesn't really pay off. In the books, it seems like it's going to because uh, one of the wildlings comments on it in book five and says, you know, uh, you better kill that young lady. They're like, no, she's She's, um, whatever cured of grayscale. And she's like, no, there's no cure. Um, you know, it can go dormant for a while, but eventually, um, it will be contagious again. And, you know, in the show, Shireen's dead and it doesn't matter, but in the book, we're, they're definitely strongly alluding to the possibility of a grayscale outbreak. Um, and, you know, we also have Jorah running around with grayscale in the, uh, yeah. show and the book at this point as well. But, uh, at least it doesn't really come back to bite, uh, as far as Shireen's concerned. No, well, she wishes it would have because yeah. she meets a uh, ignominious end. So, uh, real quick, yeah. <clears throat> uh, the the fetuses in the vials was just disturbing and unnecessary. I feel like the only thing it did was make Celise uh, seem even crazier than she was before. Um, no question. You know, mm-hmm. it, I feel like we could have gotten an idea that she was uh, fanatical with her religion just by letting her husband sleep with the priestess. And being cool with it, I feel like that would have been enough. But but the uh, fetus didn't really tie into religion at all. It just made her seem crazy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, like yeah. Well, fanaticism in my all right. So this is just me, Doug ranting. But religious fanaticism seems crazy enough to me. Like or just by crazy, just showing a schism in logic. Well, you're willing to do crazy things in the name of the religion. She says that you know anything done in the Lord of Light's name is can't be wrong or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that mm-hmm. means that she's willing to do crazy. That means her judgment's off and she's willing to do basically anything. She has no moral compass, but doing this just makes her seem even more, uh, irresponsible and crazy and, uh, even less grounded in reality. I feel, uh, but that's all it does. Yeah. They need to get her hanging out with the governor from, uh, walking dead. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I, I did think about that. Yeah, I have all their fetuses hanging out. Disgusting. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, that was a complete show of invention. So. Yeah, okay. Now we get this uh, famous uh, tub scene with uh, Jamie and Brienne. Basically, uh, Jamie goes to take a bath, and there's a giant bathhouse in Harrenhal because everything's big in Harrenhal. And um, Jamie chooses to take a bath in the same giant bathtub that Brienne's doing it. She feels uncomfortable with it. 
Uh, he gives her a little bit of shit. Uh, she gets pissed off, and he, she stands up. He gets to see her naked. He definitely checks her out. Um, uh, after she calms down, Jamie says he's disgusted by the look that she's giving him. It's the same look everybody gives him. Uh, they're just they just hate him for being the Kingslayer, for being an oathbreaker. And he finally spills the beans about the story of the Mad King. Says the Mar- he was serving the Mad King, um, and when the war was going poorly. Uh, the Mad King started burying stores of wildfire all over the city, and Jamie begged the king to surrender several times, but he never would. And towards the end, after um, Tywin was in the city sacking it, um, the king said, told Jamie to go kill his own father and bring him his head, and also told the pyromancers to set fire to the wildfire, burning the entire city and everyone in it alive. Uh, Jamie decided to prevent that. Uh, he kills both the pyromancer and the Mad King. Uh, and he says the Mad King uh, kept saying, burn them all as he was dying, as if he didn't believe he would die. And Jamie has this odd notion that he thought he would be burned and reborn a dragon. Uh, you know, I guess that's an instinctual thing amongst Targaryens because Dehenny has the same uh, instinct and it works out for her. Uh, but anyway... Um, he talks about how Ned Stark found him sitting on the throne and judged him uh, for being a Kingslayer from that point on. Uh, and then he loses consciousness and Brienne calls for help. Yeah, really great scene uh, between the two. And uh, I know we brought it up on the podcast quite a bit, the Jamie's actual backstory and how he's actually a good guy for doing that for the Kingslaying. Uh, just has a terrible PR team or his pride won't let him argue in favor of himself. So I did like that this scene got that whole thing out on paper or at least on the screen so that everybody knows what the, the real deal is behind him. Um, that's yeah, good scene. Good scene. Well, well acted, well written, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, this is, the, this is, I, I, I don't remember the books. Obviously I'm ignorant, uh, but um, it seems very similar to what happens in the books and it's, it's a great scene there as well. Um, I will say that, you know, this is starting us as an audience. This is us giving Jamie some more, I don't know, credibility for being a good guy. Uh, but when you think about it, it still doesn't... We didn't know the Mad King or all these people who saved. We knew Bran, and he pushed Bran out of a fucking window trying to kill him. So it should, yeah, it should excuse you, everything. Well, and you, you, you can't just say that you have to finish that story because Bran caught him fucking his sister. Right. I mean, it's his... I mean... Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, he's trying to protect, you know, from his standpoint, he's trying to protect his sister. He's probably trying to defend his own life because if Bran tells somebody, more likely Jamie's dead, more likely Cersei's dead, more likely their children are dead. So I yeah. guess it's somewhat justified, but at the same time, fuck you. I knew Bran before I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I like Bran better than him. So. <laughs> right. And Bran's yeah. a child. He's more innocent than he is. You know, you lived life. Uh, yeah. Tries to do what you will with it. Uh, but yeah, uh, a great scene. I feel like the show doesn't go into the budding romance between Jamie and Brienne. In the book, he gets a chubby in this scene, and he he's he's mad at himself for doing it. Uh, and this is the only other woman he's ever been attracted to besides Cersei. Um, in the show, I think it's more presented as like mutual respect. Yeah, and we've talked about this again. I don't mean to keep saying we talked about this, but in the book, Brienne is like a, a hideous monster. Yeah, she's whereas here, she's just she's just a tall lady. Yep, 
that's, that's it. kind of it. Yeah. So it's more interesting that he gets uh, excited by the like a just completely weird looking lady. Um, and obviously that does not happen at all in the show. So, yeah, I, I and maybe I'm forgetting or not remembering everything that happens in the show. I don't think they ever like show or foster any romantic feelings towards each other. I don't I'm trying to think, but I don't remember in the show. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Uh, I mean, I think it's clear that Brienne is in love with Jamie, but I think it's also in the same way that she's in love was in love with Loras. Uh, you mean uh, uh, Renly, Renly? Where it's yeah. not, not. I don't even know if it's romantic. It's more of an uh, in love with like an idealized Idolic, version. Yeah. Of this person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, so next uh, we go back to Dragonstone. Shireen finds Davos in the dungeons. Uh, Davos confirms that he is a traitor. Shireen has brought some books, but Davos is apparently illiterate. And so Shireen begins teaching Davos how to read. Very cute scene. Yep, not much to say here, though. Yeah, not 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 all. Not not really. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think part of they're trying to show, uh, or, or I'm guessing they're trying to make the eventual death of Shireen more impactful by kind of making her cute and this sort of thing. Um, yeah, and Davos being it, Davos is basically a stepdad because yeah. her real dad is absentee. Mm-hmm. I think we also did have to check in with Davos. That like this the Danny scene coming up later too. I thought that was just kind of checking in with Danny. Oh yeah, uh, the, yeah. Some some real, some check ins, but the check ins weren't too bad. So, anyways, where plus, do we go next? Plus, we're already in Dragonstone, so it makes a little more sense than the next scene. Which is checking in the obligatory check in on Danny scene, and Danny is riding along with her slave army, uh, and Barristan and Jorah trading war stories, yucking it up. Uh, Barristan laments that he has served nothing but unworthy kings, um, you know. And then Danny, we cut back to Danny. She asks the Unsullied to choose a leader amongst their ranks. They choose a guy named Grey Worm. Uh, we get the backstory that um, the Unsullied are named when they're cut uh, with shitty names to make them feel worthless I guess break their self-esteem Danny says that they can all pick new names but Grey Worm refuses saying uh, the name we born with is one thing but the name Grey Worm was the name he had when uh, Danny freed him now in the books this makes a little bit more sense because the Unsullied I believe have different names every single day um, which even more like ruins their sense of identity oh uh, and, yeah that would make more sense and it makes more sense that he chose to keep the name Grey Worm because that was the day Danny saved him and freed him because he ch- gets a different name every fucking day. Um, in the show, it just doesn't work because once again, the show invention, they're trying to marry, divert and then marry back to the books. Okay. Sorry. Going on with the, uh, summary. Um, we cut back to Barrison and Jorah. They continue to talk about the seven kingdoms and eventually Barrison says, you know, your reputation in the seven kingdoms isn't great. Uh, you may want to distance yourself a little bit from the queen because of your reputation or whatever. And Jorah's like, nah, and leaves pouting, basically. <laughs> That's all I got yeah, from I, it. I don't know what you got. I, I did like uh, seeing Jorah try to probe because he doesn't know how much uh, Selmy knows about him, whether he was a traitor. Because if Selmy was on the oh, small yeah, he council, asked if he was on the small council, and he says, "Isn't that normal for really the Kingsguard used to be the, yeah. the head of the Kingsguard?" So I did think that was interesting in seeing Jorah kind of like look at him and try to figure out what, without being too obvious. Um, Selmy is is also he's becoming very familiar, like just inserting himself 
I mean, he was guarded the people that were out to kill her. And now he just shows up and expects to be like, I guess, their main advisor. I don't know. I think there's a lot of conflict between these two. Um, I mean, there definitely is on the screen, but I I do think that they both have real and imagined conflict. I feel between them. Yeah, they both have reasons to think that the other one's the shitbag. Yeah, Um, and they both have uh, a place to advise her. Like there doesn't have to be one or the other. Exactly. So I did kind of like that that part of the scene. The Grey Worm thing, uh, it, it did lose a lot in translation without the um, change of name every day. Otherwise, it's just kind of stupid. Right. Because he just, I'm just adapting my slave name because you happen to come along. Well, what if he was 50 and like right. he was a. I've had that know, slave name for whatever, 40 years. I don't But finally, you sense. showed up and you freed me. Right. Um, and I always thought it was weird uh, with the Unsullied. How they actually they're like built like fifteen year old boys. I don't you would think that like the slave army would be like the three hundred or something, you know? Well the thing is is uh the eunuchs and we know we know this because strong Bellwas, I think, is a eunuch as well. Um th- in the books the unsullied are more plump because they don't have the testosterone, I guess, to regulate it. Um so like instead of being like little boys, they're kind of like uh, Harry Knoll type uh, guys, like I guess, like uh, I imagined an army of kind of the comic book guy from The Simpsons, or not that fat. You know what I mean? Because they they do keep in shape because they're they're uh, you know I I don't know. Maybe this is just my ignorance of not knowing what the real life effects of getting uh, your testicles removed before puberty. I know when the Catholic Church did it, it was to make boys keep their singing voices. Okay, uh, you're just making that up now. No, no, absolutely. No, You. T- what are you talking about? People were definitely castrated. Boys were definitely castrated in the Middle Ages so that they could keep their okay, singing voices Okay, we high. get it. We, yeah, we get it. Okay. But I'm, no, I'm, I'm being legit. I don't know what the ramifications are, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't all be, you know, live, you know, 16-year-old boys like Grey Worm is. Appears to be. Yeah, that's what they all kind of look like. Um, right. you, th- you think an army in physical that is designed for physical combat would uh, be strong looking? But uh, then again, I don't know. Maybe the the um, the the like Loris, the, the trade off is the speed, and you know who knows. I don't who know knows? if you're part of an army. I doubt it. If you're a rogue person uh, or one man crew like uh, Loris is, that makes a little more sense sense to have speed. Um, you know they 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 Too also soon. fight with shields and swords, which that's not a very mobile, um, you know, uh, weapon. You know, you can run around with a sword. No, but it's know. devastating because they can create a, a a wall. I'm just saying just they're not people. doing that while yeah. they're running. They're not doing like hard cardio doing that. Right. You think you think strength would be more important? Yeah. Whatever. We're we're getting into nerd territory, which this whole, are, yeah. this whole show is nerd territory, but you know what I mean. Uh, hoplites or Janissaries. <laughs> um, so next, uh, Rob is planning. Uh, he's apparently losing the battle badly. He doesn't know what to do. Talisa suggests returning to the north, waiting out the winter, but winter can be up to five years, and Rob is concerned that if he does go north, uh, that his bannermen will no longer rally. Uh, his forces are fractured. They're aimless. They need a purpose. So suddenly Rob has kind of a beautiful mind moment where suddenly he has a plan to attack Casterly Rock, but he needs more men. And the only person he has not – he said, I think he says who's not committed to a battle is the phrase. But I thought the phrase had committed as part of the uh, part of the prior exchange, you know, when they uh, 
when Rob got to cross the bridges. Yeah, but I guess we didn't see the fallout the, in the show. Yeah. In the books, they definitely, they left, like, in the middle of the night. As soon as they found out about the the marriage, like, the the troops abandoned Rob right away. Yeah, that that definitely did not happen on the show. Nope. And it, that makes it even more inexplicable, this plan, because if they've all abandoned him, why, if he shows up there again and rubs it in Frey's face, why would they all of a sudden join him? Right. Uh, yeah, seems like a silly plan. Uh, I think this would have sold better, too, if it would have been, like, if Rob was refusing to meet with his war council, uh, because there's no way the war council, I guess, would approve this. Like, It just seems like it's presented in the show like it's his one decision. It's, it's He's the only one coming to this, this, this decision. And I feel like yeah. that's fine, but they need to show um, the rest of the team not being included, or more pointedly not being included. I don't know. So in the book, did Frey commit his army to the Lannisters when they crossed the bridge? Or is this... Uh, no, what he, I'm wondering is... This, he committed is his armies to, to Rob, but then when Rob went off and got married, um, the the Freys left in the middle of the night. They like were like, fuck you, I'm out. They didn't join with the Lannisters. They just like retreated back into themselves. Yeah. And I think it so was... This, they, I, I, so I can't remember did, if it was Rob the Freys or Rob. Did Rob try to go get the Frey army again? Is In the I, book on the Red... I don't remember. I think it was uh, while they were at River Run, and since the phrase are bannermen to the Tullys at River Run, because the River Run, you know, they're lords of the Riverlands or whatever. They're yeah. supposedly, you know, the the vassals of the Tullys. The Tullys asked them or extended them the marriage to, um, you know, Edmund Edmure Tully. Uh, I think I can't remember who extended the offer of Edmure. As a placating tool, if it was the phrase or the Tullys, but I think they're definitely the link mm. uh, that that got the that they were going to get the phrase back together with to reinforce the the group. I don't know what I'm talking about. So moving okay. on. All right, all right. Um, so we go to King's Landing and uh, Sansa and Marjorie are watching Loras spar, uh, and they're talking about Sansa's asking about when she can. Uh, marry Loris and go off to Highgarden and Marjorie says they have to be patient she has to be king, queen first and you know then she's able to you know work her magic Loris meets and eventually bangs this new squire Olivar and uh, Loris spills his guts about his pending nuptials with uh, Sansa and this guy turns out to be a plant working for Littlefinger and we get a scene with uh, Littlefinger finding out about the Tyrells plans to, uh, you know, take Sansa and, uh, you know, presumably it's, you know, Littlefinger's going to tell this to Cersei, which was his charge in the earlier scene. Uh, but Littlefinger, uh, then meets with Sansa and gets confirmation of the story, uh, when he asks about, Hey, you, st- you still want to go me to take you to Winterfell, right? And she's like, well, maybe we wait a little bit. <laughs> so I guess that kind of confirms that, uh, yeah, she's wanting the Tyrells to get her out, or she's putting her faith in the Tyrells over Littlefinger. Um, but, you know, Littlefinger plays it cool, says he'll respect her wishes, and that's it. Yeah, which we know the last thing he'll do is respect her wishes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, not, not much of that scene. I, I don't know that I have much input. I feel like it just it. sets up the next scene. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. All right, so go ahead. So next, uh, Tyrion arrives to meet with Tywin, and Cersei is there. 
Uh, he, Tyrion announces that he saves some money, but Tywin does not give a fuck. Um, Cersei announces, uh, or Cersei has informed Tywin that she learned that Loras is to marry Sansa. Uh, apparently, this is a, a slap in the face to the Lannisters. Um, Tywin knows that she's the heir to Winterfell and the key to the north. Uh, Tywin realizes that the Lannisters have the upper hand if this one goes forward, so he needs to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory or the vice versa. To counter, he, uh, Tywin wants to marry Sansa to Tyrion. Tyrion is not interested in a child bride. Uh, Cersei does some smirking while I, they make Tywin relays that decision, and then Tywin announces that Cersei will marry Loras, uh, and also as part of that will put any rumors of her banging her brother to the bed, uh, to bed, which is uh, probably not the best analogy to use or phrase to use in this situation. But uh, Tywin gets up to leave. He's upset with his dumb children. He has a parting shot. My children, you've disgraced the Lannister name too long, and we go out on that that phrase. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a great scene. Um, well acted by everybody involved. I really like Cersei with a shit-eating grin just waiting for Tyrion to find out the bad news that he has to marry uh, Sansa, which I don't, uh, you know, why she's particularly happy or knows that it'll displease Tyrion, but she kind of does know it's going to displease him. Um, uh, you know... Every everybody kind of just pulls their weight here, and I feel like it was just a enjoyable scene. And once again, yeah, Tywin just being a dick, saying you know. Meanwhile, the children, from their perspective and from our perspective, have been doing everything for the family. You know what I mean? They don't have their own. Like, well, they, I think Tyrion has, but I don't know that Cersei has. Well, you know, she, mar- you know, she's she's kind of rebelling against her daddy. I mean, this is <laughs> th- th- she is with the whole like Jamie thing, but like. She married Robert Baratheon against her better judgment. Like, you know, she didn't want to be sold no, off. I think she did Originally, until their wedding. She did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. She, she says that, but she does she wanted out of it and she doesn't want to go through it again. And she feels right. like, you know, she laments that, you know, this decision was made for her and she doesn't want it to happen again. And, you know, here she is getting married off again to somebody else, being useful to the family. Um she probably thinks she did her her she did enough. She married a guy that she hated. She fought, you know, she fathered several children, quote unquote, uh, from this guy. Um, so she probably feels she did enough. And Tyrion, I'm sure, feels like he's done a lot. I mean, he's he's been wounded in battle for Christ's sake, defending the yeah. Family. He sa- he saved uh, he saved the the castle. I mean, yeah, I, right. I think Tyrion is enough, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just Tywin being a fucking dick. Yeah, and I don't know that I understand Tyrion's uh, reluctance to marry Sansa. Yeah, uh, I, I know it's not great for her, her, but like, yeah, he we would not treat her wrong. Um, granted, she is a child bride, but uh, you know, it, it it's not that bad of a fate. I don't think for either of them. You know, I um, agree. Yeah, so besides, you know, that. I mean, it is it's a, just another nightmare for her, though. Like from her, it's it's worse for Sansa. But I, you're right, I don't see it from Tyrion because from Sansa's perspective. It's the same people that killed her father, you know, <laughs> the same family. Now she has to marry one of them. That seems awful. Yeah, but he's the nice one, and he's not fucking Joffrey. And, right, and once again, I that's mean, all from that's yeah. all from Sansa's perspective, not from Tyrion's. Like, why? Is no, Tyrion's no, no, no. I, I agree. I, I guess Sansa. Uh, I mean, of all the fates that could befall her, Tyrion, Mary Tyrion's not not the worst one in a vacuum. Yeah, but uh, she probably but doesn't the- know that. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
Okay, so that's the end of it. Um, it's a weird ending. Uh, a weird episode, too. I will f- say that I did enjoy the momentum that carried us into this episode. We had a pretty big uh, payoff last episode with the Mother of Dragons, the Drakaris thing, where she got her army. And it went right into a battle scene with the Hound. That was pretty great. Um, but overall, it was. It seemed like it was uh, table setting again, right? Or like, what are you feeling? Yeah, now? I think We've so. Talked about it. Yeah, for a while. yeah, I agree with you. Um, I don't think anything particularly huge happened, but uh, but there was a lot of uh, kind of back room or not back room, but like things that had to happen to get to where uh, people fight each other. I guess put it, one way to put it. Right, and a lot of these scenes were very enjoyable, like the the yeah. Jamie and Kyburn, Jamie and Brienne. This last scene with uh, the Lannisters, I feel like there were some yes. Just it was enjoyable to watch. I agree with you. Yeah, I think it was good. Yeah, it was a good episode. Okay. Above average, I would say. Okay, so I'm a, that in my mind, that's a three That's on a five point scale or ten point scale. Um, with five being five being ten, uh, and we go by halves. So that's pretty good. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I'm. I think I'm on board with that one. No sandwich. <sighs> you set this precedent. I'm going to hold you to it. You can change it. You can pivot now. Uh, tuna melt, but like a really good one though. Like not homemade. No, it is homemade. Oh, okay. But it's like a good one though. That you made or somebody made for you in your house? I made it at home. <laughs> oh well, yeah. You know, somebody always makes a sandwich, same sandwich you'd make with the same supplies. It always tastes better when somebody else makes it. What is that? No, I disagree with you. Oh really? I oh think... yeah, I'd rather make my own sandwich. I'm sure you would because of control, but sometimes. You know, just they do something ever so slightly. Maybe they fold. You know, people are wiping their asses with your bread. Probably that's that's probably the case. (laughs) Especially the people in my household. All right, all right. So uh, yeah, not a terrible episode. Three point oh. That's not bad. Uh, Yeah, we're in the middle of season three. Season seven is right around the corner. We hope Um, (laughs) because this is getting tedious. Uh, Please give us some kind of feedback, guys. Uh, Go on uh, iTunes, review the show, rate us. Or leave a comment on ashamedofthrones.com um, because we just need a little bit of help here. Um, things are going to get busy. I've always already been busy with the holidays and they're going to get busier for the both of us in the upcoming months. So um, if there's nothing else, I guess we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.